Hello, and welcome to the Ruby for Your Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Erlanda Ruby. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Latinas in leadership. I received a request from a listener to do a special episode about this topic, and me being Latina, first generation, you know, my mom's from Mexico, my dad's from Honduras, I obviously hold this topic near and dear to my heart, and throughout this discussion, I'll share a bit of my story as well. I'll be sharing some insights and research about the topic. There's a lot of great resources that are out there and reports that are being done. And then I'll end with tips and takeaways from today's topic. Sources from today's episode will be linked to the corresponding blog post on the rubyforyourthoughts.com blog. Okay, so let's get started. First, you can't really talk about Latinas in leadership without giving some sort of a description of a hot topic today, and that is DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is a hot topic that is being discussed in the workforce today, and there's a lot of efforts being made to increase diversity, to increase the equity and inclusion on executive teams and boards and overall within the organization. So I'm going to give just a really broad overview definition of what DE&I means. You can honestly do a whole episode, and I intend to do so, about this topic. But for today, I'm just going to give you a brief description. So diversity is all the ways in which people differ. Equity is fair treatment, access, opportunity, and advancement for all people. Essentially, what equity means is that your identity or how you define yourself cannot predict your life outcomes. And inclusion is a variety of people having power, a voice, and decision-making authority. So a fun definition that I heard once, and I'm sure, you know, if you are familiar with this topic, you've probably heard this as well. Diversity is where everyone is invited to the party. Inclusion means that everyone gets to contribute to the playlist. And equity means that everyone has the opportunity to dance. Okay, so that is DE&I. Why is that important to bring up in this episode? Well, <laughs> honestly, it's impacted my life in ways that I didn't even understand or know. And I'm still to this day understanding how this has impacted my life and how it affects my worldview. So as I mentioned before, I'm first generation Mexican and Honduran, and I'm the youngest of three girls. So I have two older sisters. And with that, I'm also the first in my immediate family to pursue a college degree. And not only that, I got my undergraduate degree and just completed my master's uh, this past summer in 2021. So as I as I started learning more about DE&I and how all of that has impacted my career, my life journey, the way that I perceive things in the world <laughs> when it comes to my career and school, Oh my goodness, it's, there is something to be said for not feeling like the people who look like you, how much, what am I trying to say? It was hard for me to understand how to navigate pursuing higher education when it was not something that I saw my parents do and it was not something that I saw my sisters do. My situation is a little bit unique because my dad was in the entertainment industry. He was a, you know, big famous radio DJ for 
the Latinx community, and he now has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So he had dreams of my sisters and I pursuing more of an entertainment industry career. So it's unique in that sense, but not unique in the way that he didn't have a higher education. My mom didn't pursue higher education. So I didn't really have an example in my life of what to do, how it should be done. You know, my sisters pursued other careers as well. My oldest sister is in the entertainment industry as well. And my middle sister pursued getting her makeup certification. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> wanted to be in school. It is something that I always found pleasure in and found safety in. I'm, I'm very people motivated. And honestly, just seeing that my friends were taking AP classes or joining extracurricular activities made me want to do that as well because I just wanted to keep hanging out with them. But I didn't really have any proper guidance in my life or anyone keeping me accountable to making sure that I was on the right path to getting good grades and making sure that I was getting into a good college. I, for undergrad, ended up going to UCLA and all of that happened on a whim, honestly. My friends were taking their SATs. I wanted to hang out with them and study. And I, I did all those things because it was what everyone else around me was doing, not because I had anyone in my family guiding me on those steps. And I got super lucky in high school. My original school counselor, I had a 4.0 my when it was time to apply for colleges and my counselor prints out my transcript and he did this thing where he touched the paper and pretended like it was hot. I've never seen a transcript this spicy, like this great. And I told him that I wanted to go to UCLA. So I wanted to go to UCLA because I thought that that's where doctors were made. <laughs> Again, did very limited worldview, very limited scope of universities and how to find which one is right for you. But I wanted to go to UCLA. And my counselor basically said, he pulled out this really large book and he opened it to UCLA and read off some stats and basically told me that I had to aim lower. And that was really a little bit disheartening, but also confusing because again, I didn't really have a real perspective or any sort of additional information or guidance from my personal family to tell me, you know, you can actually pursue getting into UCLA. You have a 4.0 GPA and these great SAT scores. So I remember telling a teacher about this situation and they luckily told me, oh my gosh, that is not how you should feel, nor is that accurate. And I got then reassigned to another counselor who was a Latina and then ended up helping me and coaching me through the application process. And I ended up getting into mostly all the schools that I applied to. The only one that I did not get into was UC Berkeley, but that's fine. No hard feelings, Berkeley. <laughs> There's the campus was a little bit too, too grimy for me anyway. I'm just kidding. I'm just, uh, I'm bitter clearly. But anyway, I got into UCLA and I remember being excited, but also, oh my God, it was scary. It was super scary because I decided to move into the dorms even though I was living in the valley, I could have commuted, right? But I was living in the dorms. I got randomly placed with two other roommates in this tiny, tiny room. And they're still my best friends to this day. I got so lucky. But a lot of the things that I learned in, that have helped me in my adult life were came from, from them, from them really showing me 
hey, this is how you, you know, t- how, how you function and how you operate and what you should be doing when it comes to picking your classes, when it comes to career pathing, when it comes to pursuing extracurricular activities, joining a sorority, whatever it may be. Because I, again, didn't have any examples of that in my life personally. And I just felt so lost and so overwhelmed so much of the time. And then also feeling in this weird in-between stage of wanting to assimilate and make it look like I knew what was going on. But, and so I wasn't telling anyone that I felt that lost, you know, because everyone seemed like they knew what, what they were doing, right? And at the same time, I just, it was, it was hard. And it, anyway, I could just keep going about that. But what really got me through my undergrad experience was that UCLA had this fantastic program called the Academic Advancement Program. And it's, a, it is part of their DE&I umbrella. And it's made specifically for students who are considered part of a minority group. And given that I was first generation, then I was able to be a part of this program. So I was assigned personally a one-on-one counselor who I would check in frequently. If I had questions, I would go visit her. I would email her and she, she kept me on track and I made friends that were part, that were also part of this DE&I community. And I learned that a lot of the Latinx students who were first generation end up dropping out of school because they feel lost and also have a hard time communicating to their parents how difficult it is to be in school and that they can't be going back home every weekend to just visit or do laundry or whatever it is. And a lot of times families would tell them, you know, you're abandoning, you're abandoning the family, you're wasting your time. What is this education gonna do for you? You're not making any money. This is costing too much, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of the first generation students ended up dropping out. And I didn't wanna be a part of that statistic, but I will say that I did struggle with this. There were times where my family was going through certain situations and I, I didn't really fully know how to communicate that what I was doing was hard and I couldn't fully emotionally engage in things that required family attention because I already felt like I was in a situation that I didn't fully understand. And I had, I had to focus, I had to prioritize, and I still feel guilt about that, honestly. There are things that happened during that time in my family that I wasn't present for, and it put a lot of strain and weight on my sisters, and I feel so bad about it. But again, you know, that's all part of the experience of coming from a diverse background. You try so hard to assimilate, and I think college is a, is a in some sense, a cultural shock for anyone who first goes. I mean, it's it's your first time really taking authority over your adult life and your parents aren't there in your day-to-day, usually, you know, it, in your day-to-day, making sure that you're on top of your studies, that you're attending classes, that you're not going out too late. I remember the biggest eye-opening moment for me was when I... <laughs> that I was at home and that I could do whatever I wanted was when I went out on a weeknight and I was up until, I don't know, 3, 4 a.m. partying with my friends. And I, I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, nobody's gonna know. How are they gonna know? My mom's not gonna know. My sister's not gonna know. And then the next day I remember, and then I remember thinking <laughs> the next day, I could have, I could have eaten a cake at 3 a.m., and it's not even my birthday and no one would yell at me and no one would tell me, no one would know. How are they gonna know? So 
everyone goes in some sense through that culture shock and trying to find a balance and keeping yourself accountable and learning how to balance your skills. But imagine already going through that and then also discovering that the way you were raised was was different from everyone else and that you're trying to assimilate, but you don't even know that that's what you're trying to do. And so you just always feel different and you don't realize that the things that you do, the way you eat your food, how you put hot sauce on everything is even weird or different until you're doing it, something that you've done every day and everyone is looking at you and saying, oh my God, you like Tepatio? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I do. You don't, you're so weird. But when you are the minority in that situation, they're not the weird one, you are, you know? And I am not someone who is super, I used to be a lot more, how do I say this? Just bending to other people. And as I've gotten older, I've started to really assert myself, but it was hard for me to, to really assert myself and assert my culture, assert my background when there was no one really around me who looked like me and who came from my type of background. After I graduated, I was fortunate enough to join an organization that had a majority of their leadership as, or not, well, their management team be female and Latina. And that was now looking back, just a different sense of comfort and relatability. There really is something to be said about looking at people around you and feeling like they they just get it. They know where you came from. They look like you. They look like your family. They look like your aunt. They look like your cousin, whatever it may be. And they're bringing dishes from home at the potluck. You know, my mom at the time had a restaurant and I, everyone wanted me to bring pupusas. Like there is something about feeling included in that way where I was not afraid to look dumb or make a mistake or take chances, explore things that I didn't know. And I grew so much during such a short period of time during my time at that organization and I have, it's something that I haven't gotten back. And I, I do think that it has something to do with seeing women who are Latinas in leadership at the time. So throughout my career, you know, I, when I left that organization, there were women who were in higher up positions, but it was not very common to see Latinas, you know, in a, it was a firm. And then moving on to the next organization that I went to, same situation. There were no Latinas or Latinx people in leadership to my knowledge. And yeah, that was, that was interesting. I mean, I'm still again, learning how diversity, equity, and inclusion impacts my life. But what I do know for certain is that when I'm already feeling a little bit out of place or like the people around me don't really understand or oh my gosh, is my accent going to come out when I say this? Am I pronouncing this right? Et cetera, et cetera. It, it does feel like there's less wiggle room to make mistakes. Working also with people who were fancy and corporate, you know, and, and not seeing any of them look like me or sound like me or like my family, that was intimidating. And I, you know, <laughs> I didn't grow up with fancy ways of knowing how to use whatever fork or plate or whatever. I'm like, you guys don't have tortillas? Nope. Okay. So sorry. <laughs> it does make you feel like you have less wiggle room and just this extra layer of not belonging, but wanting to belong and not wanting to show. And so you're faking it till you make it, whatever 
you know, and so on and so forth. This is only one part of the larger DE&I book or novel, really. Why is it important to have diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's not about just having people from diverse backgrounds. It's the fact that diversity brings diversity of thought. It brings new innovative ways of problem solving. If we all come from a different worldview, different ways of problem solving, different ways of understanding information, then we can be more creative when it comes to creating solutions and how we hire, how we build programs, how we make sure that learning at work is inclusive of all different types of learning styles. That's why it's so important to have DEI, to not just have it be a diverse place where you know you're giving everyone the right tools providing equity. Inclusion is so, so important. Making sure that you're constantly checking in and having these groups that you're bringing in feel like they are included and not just the token Latina, Latino, whatever it may be of the group. Okay, so now I'm going to dive into some hot stats for you. So when looking at the Latinx community within the U.S. from a numbers perspective, Latinx are now the largest ethnic minority group at about 17% of the country's population and comprise about 21% of the millennial generation. Latinx accounted for half of the overall U.S. population's growth. And at this rate, Latinx are expected to make up one-fourth of the U.S. population by 2025 and one-third by 2050. So while the Latinx community is making up a large portion of the U.S. population, the presence of Latinx in corporate leadership and on boards is nearly invisible. Only 4% of executive officer positions in Fortune 500 companies were held by Latinx. And now if we're looking at Latina specifically, about half, 49.5% of Latinx in the United States are female. And 61% of all Latinas in the U.S. participate in the labor workforce. So that makes up in total 7.5% of the total labor force. And this number is continuing to grow each year. It's actually projected that Latinas will make up more than one-third of the U.S. female population and are the fastest growing sector when you're looking at the entrepreneurial market. So let's take these numbers a bit further. They're all pointing to the representation of Latinas in the workforce growing at a fast rate. But when looking at executive teams and corporate boards, Latinas represent less than 1%, 0.69% exactly, of executives and less than 2% of board directors. What? <laughs> so when you're looking at the amount of Latinx people on boards and executive teams, it's, it's 4%. Of that 4%, only less than 1% of executives are Latina and less than 2% of Latinas are on a board of directors. So while these numbers are disappointing to say the least, where Latinas shine is when it comes to being entrepreneurs. 25% of Latinx owned businesses are owned by Latinas and have a yearly growth rate of 10%, which is 4% higher than that of businesses owned by Latinx men. They're at 6%. So it's safe to say that Latinas have business acumen. It's an area of strength to be entrepreneurial and innovative. But the reality is that overall, Latinas are underpaid and underrepresented at all levels of the career pipeline. And hopefully that will change soon, right? 
There is no immediate solution. It's going to be a slow uphill battle, but trust me, I know that we're, we're climbing it and we're, we're making it happen. And to help that climb happen, I wanna say if you are a Latina who owns your own business or who is in a leadership type position, find a way to get involved with mentorship. Find someone who needs help in their journey coming from the same background. That is the only way that we're going to be able to get through this uphill battle is by offering the same wisdom, insights, mentorship to the generations that are coming after us. Talking about the unique struggles faced and normalizing conversations that really shine a light on the parts that were hard and how to get through them. Nobody's perfect and that's okay. And Latinas, we make ourselves feel like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. A lot of ways we were raised that way. So we need to have a little bit of grace with ourselves and help the next generations in any way that we can. All right, so I'm going to now give you some tips based on today's discussion. Tip number one, if you are someone who is in the hiring seat, if you're doing the interview and have the power to make a decision or have input on who gets hired, you should remember that there is no perfect test or interview that can identify the best candidate. Instead, you should hire good people and invest in their potential. The case may be that the candidate is checking all of the boxes that are, you know, the skills that you want based on the, uh, <laughs> the case may be that the candidate checks all the boxes based on the skills that are necessary and the experience level written in the job description, but maybe they're not the best culture fit or Maybe they're just really resting on their successes and aren't going to be as driven or motivated. So it's about hiring good people and investing in their potential. And this can help you mitigate some potential bias when it comes to your hiring process. Tip number two, if you are a Latina looking to be in leadership, <laughs> like what I just said in tip number one, remember that no one is a perfect candidate. Don't undersell your accomplishments. All females in general struggle with this. And if we look at ourselves through the lens of our potential and ability to perform, we are absolutely qualified for the jobs that seem out of reach. It's all about how you frame yourself and your experience. And don't be afraid to toot your own horn. Your interview opportunity is the only time where it's 100% okay to brag about yourself unapologetically because no one is going to Toot your, own horn for, toot your own horn for you during that experience, during that interview. They're not going to know. They're not going to be there to say, hey, Yolanda, remember you did this really awesome thing back in 2012? It's up to you to look at your accomplishments, look at your resume, look at your career through the lens of potential and really pitch yourself even if you feel that maybe you don't check all of those boxes perfectly. It's okay to apply for a job that may seem like it's a reach. Tip number three, if you are just curious about how to be more inclusive in the workplace, ask if there's any DEI efforts that you can be a part of. You don't have to be a part of a community that is considered diverse to begin having those conversations with your leadership team and how you can start promoting this in your organization. These efforts aren't going to happen in a day, but the more people that are aware and involved, the closer we will be to implementing change. Okay, 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I made it through. This one was difficult. I have a tough time talking about myself for whatever reason, but you know what? I'm learning to do it and I hope that it was helpful or insightful in some way. If you would like to reach out, ask questions, learn more, you can contact me at rubythoughts at gmail.com. You can also go to the website to see the sources for today's episode, rubyforyourthoughts.com. It'll be in the blog post. And if you want to share your story, email me, contact me. You can follow me on social medias, on Instagram, rubythoughtspod. And yeah, all right. Well, rate, subscribe, like, share the podcast with someone that you think might find this helpful and see you next time. Goodbye!